This is the last message in our series, Rethink, and it's the toughest one, toughest topic. I thought about skipping over it, but then I thought one of you would write me and say, hey, how come you never covered that passage in Mark? And I knew God was watching, and so I decided that I needed to deal with it. And then I thought more about it, and I thought one of the reasons why we often end up confused about certain topics and issues is because we tend to avoid the tougher ones, and that adds to the chaos and confusion. So we're going to take it on. We're going to deal with it. And uh, as we do that, I want to uh, ask you to do me a favor. And the favor I have to ask of you is that you hear the whole message out. What I mean by that is if I say something that you just go, I don't agree with that, don't stop there and then just take what you've heard and then leave here and tell people this is what they taught or this is what he said. Uh, I've come up with this new terminology for that. I call it fake news, all right? So don't listen to the whole context of it, if you will, please. And then the second thing I want to say is that this is, this is all about hope. This is all about healing. And that's where, that's where we're going with this whole topic. Now, some of you are thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, what on earth is he going to talk about today? And what we're going to talk about is divorce. We're going to talk about divorce. And as soon as I say that, I can tell you that there are many of you who have been through a divorce my point is not to dredge up the past, make you feel guilty or ashamed. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. And the reality is all of our lives, my wife and I, our lives have been touched by loved ones who have gone through the pain and difficulty of divorce. So the point is to understand what God says about it and then talk about how do we build our relationships moving forward, okay? So we're gonna start with the Old Testament. Uh, the book of Malachi, or as my Italian friend says, it's the only Italian prophet in the Bible, Malachi. So it's the last book of the Old Testament if you want to turn there. <clears throat> I like what uh, Chuck Swindoll says about divorce. He says, if you were to get a, a bus load full of evangelical theologians and their, their job is to discuss the interpretation of the scriptures on divorce and they spend the entire summer touring the United States as they do that, at the end of the summer they would all get off the bus and still disagree. So there are some things I might say that you take a different perspective of and that's okay. In fact, there's this little book called Divorce and Remarriage, Four Christian Views. It's up on the screen and uh, that would give you an in-depth look at the various interpretations. Uh, at the end of the message, I'll, I'll point to another aspect of our website where you can get the scriptures we're going to give you, some other helpful resources, and if you're hurting, if you're struggling, there'll also be a way to contact us here so we can come alongside of you and help. And by the way, we have a ministry here called Stephen Ministry, and our Stephen Ministers undergo 50 hours of training. They specialize in coming alongside people who are any kind of crisis or challenge and you need somebody to walk with you on that and we have several who are available right now looking for care receivers to bless and minister to so whatever your need happens to be uh, if you could like to meet with Stephen minister and look into that let us know email us or let us know on that connection card now uh, the book of uh, Malachi uh, God speaks I can't go over every passage but I wanted to draw your attention to this one the Old Testament and I want to begin reading in verse 13. Here is another thing you do. 
You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her. Now, we could turn it the other way around and say unfaithful to him. This context is dealing with men and women and how the men are, husbands are being unfaithful to the wives. You have been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. Let's stop there for a minute. That reflects back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. When God said he created the man and the woman to be one for a lifetime in order they might produce and multiply, be fruitful, and subdue the earth. So here, even after the garden, God is saying to his people, I, I want you to still be an influence. And you can't be an influence if your marriages are falling apart. I, I want you to produce children who grow up in this kind of environment who will then, <clears throat> by their influence, encourage others to do the same. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to your what? To the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the Lord of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife, or we could say to your husband. Now, these words were written first to the leaders of Israel. You see that in chapter 2, verse 1. Nor in verse 7, the Lord rebukes the priests because it, rather than leading the people to do what is right, they've misled the people to do what is wrong. Then God comes full circle and he speaks to all the people and he says, look, you're, you're doing things the wrong way, in particular with the issue of marriage. I want you to come back and I want you to be obedient. He says, I hate divorce. The reason I hate divorce is because what it does to you, the pain it causes in your lives and your families and our nation and your relationship with me. God does not say he hates the divorced person. You know, the Bible tells us in Proverbs that God also hates lying and God's, God hates pride. And I don't know of any human being who has never lied and I'm going to guess all of us have struggled with pride today. If God hated the sinner, he would never send Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. He hates what sin does to us because he loves us and he sent Christ to redeem us and to bring us back into a full and fruitful relationship with him. Now, turn excuse me, to Matthew chapter 19. I want you to turn to Matthew instead of Mark, and I'll tell you why. Because the passage we're going to look at, Matthew chapter 19, is a longer version of what Mark describes in chapter 10. So if you want to read Mark's version, you can do that, chapter 10, 1 through 12. But I want you to look at Matthew 19 because he gives us more context. He has some more to say about it, which if you don't hear it, you'll misunderstand the abbreviated version of the Gospel of Mark. So Matthew chapter 19, it tells us in verse 3 that some Pharisees came and tried to trap Jesus with a question. We've seen them try to do this before with other topics. This time they used the topic of divorce. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? There are two schools of thought on divorce in Jesus' day. 
One was the school of Shammai, a rabbi, and the other was the school of Hillel, another rabbi, and all of their disciples through the years. Shammai was very conservative. Uh, he had a very narrow list of the reasons for divorcing, and Hillel was very liberal. I mean, you burnt the toast, you're divorced, all right? And so they catch Jesus, they say, whose side are you on? So that whoever is on the opposite side, they'll help, it'll help them kind of bring a case against Jesus. Jesus responds to them in verse 4. He says, haven't you read the scriptures? I love how Jesus always deals with this. Can I take you back to what God says, my father says, instead of what some rabbi said or some philosopher or opinionated person said? He says, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united in one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So Jesus points to the ideal. He said, the ideal was that man and woman come together for a lifetime. And he says, they're not, they're not to be pulled apart or split apart by anybody. But the ideal was broken in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve, our first parents, rebelled against God. And we know from Deuteronomy chapter 24 and, and, and other passages in the Bible that, that God then allowed for divorce to happen. Man was able to step in and legally separate this union of husband and wife as a result of that. Now, pick it up in verse 7, because they say, then why did Moses say in the law that a man, <clears throat> excuse me, could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And here we're introduced to an interesting principle, and the principle is this, it's used a few times in the scriptures, but the principle is that sometimes God permits what he does not desire. God permits what he doesn't desire. God doesn't desire that there be divorce. In fact, if I could just segue for a moment, uh, I've never met a married couple that has said, we're, really, we're getting married because we're looking forward to getting divorced. And I've just never met that couple, right? You don't go into it with those intentions. And so God sometimes does permit what he does not desire. Now look what Jesus says. Come back to verse 9. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife, or we could say her husband, and marries someone else commits adultery. So if I legally divorce my spouse and I marry someone, the act of marrying that other person, because God says it's illegal what you've just done, all right, in my sight, it's, it's adultery, which raises the question for the theologians on the bus. And the question is, does that mean that if I divorce my spouse and I do it for an unbiblical reason, if there is a reason, and I remarry this person over here, Am I now living in perpetual adultery because of that? The answer to the question is no. The old marriage is ended legally. This is a new marriage. But the fact that I didn't honor God, but I took this other relationship 
is seen as an act, like an adulterous act, what I just did. And it needs to be repented of before the Lord. Stay with me. Remember, stay with me. And I tell you, verse 9, this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless, ah, the exception, unless his wife or husband has been unfaithful. Theologians call this the exception clause. So it appears what Jesus is saying here is, okay, if your spouse commits adultery, they're unfaithful to you, then you can divorce them and you are free to remarry. There are some writers and thinkers out there and pastors and theologians who don't apply it that way. They think there's never an exception for divorce. And when they read that, they say, well, that's referring to, the Greek is porneia, and it's referring to what happens in the engagement period with, with Hebrew couples before they're officially married, when they're engaged. If something porneia happens, and the porneia more than likely refers to adultery, or actually does in the passage, then they can, then they can break the engagement off. But that is a real strain. I, I totally disagree. And if I was on the bus of those theologians, uh, I would be in the majority because most Reformed theologians would all agree that, no, that, that's not, it's not talking about the engagement period. It's talking about literal marriage here. Literal marriage here. And that Jesus is offering that there is an exception in this case. All right? Now, having said that, and knowing that that appears to them to be a reason to be divorced and a reason then to be able to remarry, are there any other exceptions in the scriptures? And the answer is yes. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I want to look at verse 10. <clears throat> it says, But for those who are married, I have a command. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. But for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband, but if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him, and the husband must, leave, uh, must not leave his wife. So it's back to what Jesus said, right? You, you're supposed to stay married. If for some reason you leave there means divorce. You divorce your spouse. You guys, you guys become uh, divorced. Stay single. Except, Jesus told us, except if there's the case of adultery. Then you can get divorced and you can be remarried. Then look what he says in verse 12. It says, now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. Now what he means there is that he's not giving us his opinion. He's just simply saying there's no verse that Jesus spoke that I can now say and, and use this is what Jesus said. But Paul's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so what he has to say carries the same weight. He says, if, <coughs> excuse me, if a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. Verse 14. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage. And what these next verses simply mean is a little confusing. What it simply means is if you are the believer and your spouse is an unbeliever, Try to stay together because you have an influence on them. You bring holiness. You bring God. You bring the truth into the marriage and to your children. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the 
believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. But the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. Don't you wives realize that your husband might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realize your wives might be saved because of you? So here's the point. Paul's saying if you're married to your spouse who's an unbeliever and they say, <coughs> excuse me, I want out of this marriage. I don't, I don't want anything to do with you being a Christian. I don't like where this is going. I'm done. I'm out of here. And they abandon you, he says. Then you can be divorced. The implication is you can be married again. But the point is try not to let that happen. Try to keep them in the marriage. Try to keep them there with you because you have a sanctifying or you have a holy effect on their lives. So try your best. Do everything you best to keep this together. Same thing in marriage. Do everything you can to keep the marriage together. Rather than thinking about what are the loopholes for divorce or remarriage, how do I keep the marriage together? That's the big point. That's the important thing. Not trying to find the loopholes, but sometimes we're driven, driven to a situation where you know, okay, it's done. So the exception is adultery. You can get divorced, remarried. The second uh, exception is abandonment. But see, this is where the theologians start to argue on the bus, all right? What happens if you have two believers who are married together and one of the believers abandons the other believer? Is divorce all right in God's eyes? Can I divorce my spouse for abandoning me? Can I remarry again? Well, some of the theologians of the bus would say, you know, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus was talking about disciplining Christians who misbehave and confronting them. And there's this whole process to confront them with. And Jesus says that if they won't listen to you, if the church confronts them and they still won't listen, it says, then treat them like a pagan or tax collector. That is, treat them like an unbeliever. And if they're an unbeliever, right, according to Paul, then divorce can happen and remarriage can happen. And so some of the theologians of the bus would say, okay, so that's a further definition of abandonment. Some would say, well, what if you have a situation on the bus, they would say, where two people get divorced for the wrong reasons. And, and perhaps one is a victim. The other, the, other, the other person divorced them. They could both be believers. Or they both agreed now they're in a state where they're not supposed to marry again. But one of them does get married again. Isn't that that act of adultery that Jesus spoke about? Hasn't that, isn't that like committing this act of adultery by the fact that I've disobeyed now and I've married someone? And if that's the case, doesn't this person now, aren't they free? Aren't they free now because of what just happened themselves to remarry? And so there's some of the theologians on the bus who would say, yes, that's, that's now permissible. And that's why oftentimes through the years when people come to me and present their situation and say, Pastor, tell us, can we or can't we? I look at them and I say, unless it's really clear cut, you're going to have to go pray and wrestle with God on that. I'm not going to play God. You have to wrestle through that. I can lay it out for you, but you have to pray and discern, is this a situation where I can remarry or is this a situation where I can divorce? Now, having said that, all right, I've had all kinds of questions posed over the years on this whole issue of marriage, divorce, remarriage. And one of them goes like this. 
Pastor, is it okay for me to divorce my spouse? I just can't stand them anymore. How many of you are married? Will admit it? Let me see your hands. Come on. All right. Honestly, aren't there times when you just can't stand your spouse? I know there are times when Marcia can't stand me. I can't stand myself. I don't divorce myself. Right? It's like we all were human beings. We're going to have those moments in our marriages, those seasons in our marriages. It doesn't mean you throw the towel and give up. You persevere. And usually, anyway, what you can't stand in your mate is what you can't stand about yourself. And the way you change your marriage is you don't change them, you change you. You become more like Jesus. And so if you go through a tough patch in your marriage, ask yourself, God, what are you trying to change in me? What do I need to do to help my spouse in the situation? I've had people come to me over the years and say to me, Pastor, uh, can I get divorced because I've fallen out of love? Or I discover now I married the wrong person. My answer to the question is no, that's not grounds for divorce. You cannot let your feelings run your life. If you let your feelings run your life, it's like letting naughty children run your life. Our emotions are all over the place. They're wonderful servants, but they are terrible masters. I don't live by my feelings. And sometimes in our marriages, let's be honest, you know, going back to, to uh, not being able to stand each other once in a while, isn't it true? Sometimes you don't feel in love. You don't feel in love, but love is not about feelings. Love is about an act of the will. I choose to stay in love regardless of how I feel. So feelings is never a reason or excuse to call it quits. Some people say to me, Pastor, we were both divorced uh, before we were Christians and, and not for any good reasons. And, and now I want to remarry this other person. And I mean, what's the deal here? And I always refer to 2 Corinthians 5, 17 that says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new or she's a new creation. Old things are passed away. I mean, everything is passed away. Behold, all things become new. It's like, you're, if you're, I mean, you're born again. It's a new life. So what happened in the past is in the past. It's about a new day. And it's not carried over against you, so to speak. And then, of course, I've had people ask me the very serious question over the years. Pastor, I'm being physically abused in my marriage. And that comes almost always from women. I'm being physically abused in my marriage. Can I... Can I get divorced? And my immediate response is, if you're being physically abused in your marriage, get out now. Get out now. God does not expect you to stay there and get pummeled and beaten and bruised. The Bible doesn't expect that of you at all. I don't expect you to do that. Get out. And when I say get out, I mean get in a safe place. Get some good Christian counselors and care around you to decide what next steps should be. I've had people over the years tell me they're being psychologically abused, emotionally abused. And, and you know, if you don't know this, you know, abusers never want to quit a relationship, a marriage, because they sadistically draw power and and uh, energy out of having somebody to abuse. So if you're being psychologically abused, I mean day in, day out, ripped apart, torn down, belittled, you know, you can't go here, you can't do that, you can't talk to him, you can't talk to her, that kind of thing, then get out. 
get out, get in a safe place with some safe and good and godly counsel around you and then talk about where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? But, you know, this whole area of emotional abuse is a tough one to talk about. Because, you know, in our culture, it's, it, there's a tendency sometimes to, to just, you know, you looked at me the wrong way. I'm done. And I came across an article, and it's going to be posted on our blog. It's written by a Christian counselor, and uh, her name is Leslie Vernick. She's also an author. And I want you to read, read to you what she says. She says, there's a difference between a difficult or disappointing marriage and a destructive marriage. She points out that we must not seek divorce simply because we are not getting everything we want out of our marriages. We have such high expectation, no one can live up to that. When you're disappointed in your spouse because they're not a romantic or as romantic or ambitious or as spiritual or as handy or whatever it is that you wanted out of that marriage and you're disappointed and you see somebody else who's got those qualities, you begin to become contemptuous or critical or disappointed instead of being grateful and appreciative of what you do have. Vernick believes a disappointing or difficult marriage is not grounds for divorce, but rather is grounds for faithfulness. It's grounds for faithfulness. God worked through it. God worked through it. And of course, I can imagine somebody who would say to me, okay, I'm going to be honest with you. Our reasons, my reasons for divorcing were not right. I didn't want to work it out. I was tired. I was discouraged. I was whatever. I know it wasn't the right thing. I, I convinced myself it was okay. All right? And I remarried again. I remarried again. I'm like, is there any hope for me? And the answer to that question is absolutely there is. Absolutely there is. God is a God of grace. God is a God who heals. And God is a God who forgives. I just have to have the humility to admit to God and perhaps to others what I did was wrong. And be sorry for that. Be repentant of that. And make this marriage, if I'm married again, make this marriage work. Make this marriage work. Years ago, I was uh, dealing with this topic of divorce, and, and I was working on some things related to it. And, and Marsh and I were on uh, vacation. It's always hard to be on vacation and have to <laughs> deal with something like that. Uh, in, in your writings or your studies. And uh, a f dear friend of ours let us use their place at Myrtle Beach, and we were walking on the, on the seashore. And I was picking up shells. Marsha wanted some nice shells to give to our grandkids, etc. So I'm on a long walk just thinking about all this stuff, and I, I'm, I'm picking up shells, and I pick up one, and, and I think, oh, it's, this is perfect, and then I'd find it was discolored. Or I'd, I'd dig away one out of the sand, I'd pick it up, and I'd go, this is the one, and it would, be, it would have a crack running through it. Or I'd find another one, and like a beautiful sand dollar, and like a chip of it would be gone. Or I'd find another one that looked good on the surface, but when I got it out of the sand, it was deformed and ugly. And so I'm like throwing shells right and left and only keeping a few with me. And I heard God speak, not audibly, but I heard him speak to my soul. And, and he asked me a question, and the question was, what are you doing? And I... And I responded in my heart, well, I'm keeping some and throwing most of them away because they're ugly, they're deformed, they're cracked, they don't work. And I, and I heard God say to my heart, my mind, I don't do that. I don't do that. I actually go looking for the cracked, the chipped, the deformed, the discolored. 
the ones that nobody else wants. And it just stopped me short. And as a, as a human being and as a pastor, it reminded me, that's why Jesus came. He didn't come for the perfect people. He came for people like me. He came for people like you, people who struggle, people whose lives are cracked, deformed, chipped, hurt, broken. And in the case of what we're talking about today, having gone through divorce, whether I was the perpetrator or the victim or mutually consented, and God says, here's your life, here's the mess, can I heal you? Will you let me, will you let me collect you? Will you let me have you? Will you let me repair you? Will you let me use you? Aren't you, aren't you glad we serve a God like that? He doesn't walk down the seashore just going, oh, not you, not you, not you, not you, not you. Just bring your brokenness to me. Bring your pain, bring your hurt, bring your disappointments. Bring your failures to me and let me make you new. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we humble ourselves before you and we acknowledge to you, O oh God, that uh, our lives are not perfect. And today, Father, we have opened up the word and we've talked about this issue of divorce. And there are many, Lord, who are hearing it this weekend who have been touched in some way and perhaps they themselves have been through a divorce. Lord, the past is the past. Right or wrong, we're here today. We ask you to help us live our marriages or live our single lives in a way that is pleasing to you, is compliant to your truth. Thank you for being a God who forgives, a God who is gracious, a God who is merciful. In Jesus' name.